Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 426. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy that you're here to join us. And I'm thrilled to welcome Tim Allison. Tim is the founder and CEO of Screw the Naysayers Productions and is a lifelong entrepreneur, business coach, author, and host of the Screw the Naysayers podcast. Welcome, Tim. I'm so happy to have you here. Hey, it's my absolute pleasure, Kim. Thanks for having me. Well, I have to tell you, as a fellow podcaster yourself, I've noticed, maybe you've noticed the same thing, that when we get on other people's podcasts, sometimes the interviews tend to go both ways, even though you're on somebody else's show. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> yeah, I know. I found myself being interviewed the other day by a guy named Quentin Allum, who's a 24-year-old kid who shouldn't know half the stuff that he already knows. And, and all of a sudden, he pauses and he says to me, you know, what's your big regret in life? <laughs> so I, I know what you mean. And this was on your show. This was on my show. I'm thinking, okay, I'm interviewing you, man, and you want to know what my biggest regret is. But I, started, I said, well, that's cute. You're interviewing me for a minute. And then I stopped. So uh, I'll try not to dig too deep into it, but I suspect you're right. You know what I think it is? Because I think we become in tune to, to finding the stories in people. Yes. And there's this natural curiosity to exchange stories rather than simply focus on, you know, we know our own stories so well. So <laughs> the temptation is there to want to learn from you. You've got me thinking now, though, about that question. What's your biggest regret in life? Because <laughs> had you asked me that 10 years ago, I could have rattled you off a whole bunch. But now I'm thinking about it, and like, the only thing I can think about is not having more confidence in myself before I did. But I can't even look at the marriage to my ex or the college that I chose or how I lived any part of my life as a regret because everything brought me to where I was today. I just wish that I had had like a confidence injection somewhere about six years ago, if not before then. So how did you answer the question? I'm sort of curious, and then I want you to introduce yourself better to the audience. Well, okay, this will sort of sort of get it out there because I did. The proper answer, Kim, was probably the one that you gave because I—that's likely what I should have said because it doesn't make much sense in looking back in our life and second guessing decisions. I'm a huge believer that we're always doing what we think is best, and you know, and as long as that's so honestly the case, and I and in my book, screw the naysayers, it doesn't make much sense to kick the you know what out of ourselves for doing our best. Uh, but I mean. Yeah, if there was, regret was probably too strong of a word, but I thought of all of the years that I was, uh, I was very busy becoming a great entrepreneur. I'll use my backstory to sort of explain how I put that answer, you know, in there. I mean, I came out of university and I did what I'd been trained to do. Like everything in my life was preparing me for this professional career. So I, you know, go to school, get good grades, went to university, got my degree, got a good job, and then put my foot down and and determined to climb that corporate ladder as fast as I possibly could. And it turned out I was pretty good at it for whatever reason. So, you know, there I was uh, at 31 years of age, and I'm from Canada. I was living in Toronto at the time and was easily one of the top paying jobs in the entire country, certainly one of the top paying sales jobs in the country. And from the outside looking in, I mean, people would have, I was up, my friends and family had me on this pedestal, if it makes any sense to you, like the poster child of what success is supposed to look like, you know I mean? Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, just had it all, eh? Yeah. And I was miserable. 
Mm. I mean, I was coming, I was abusing alcohol to try and deal with the stress. I was coming home from work in the evening after my kids were already in bed. I had two children under the age of five. Mm. They got up. I was traveling two weeks out of four. And so I did something that to give my age away. This goes back 30 years. And so um, 1988, you know, I did something pretty unheard of in those days. And I just walked away from it all. I just quit. And not only did I quit, but my wife and I and our two kids, we moved to this tiny little fishing village in Nova Scotia, Canada. And I mean, small. I mean, it's like I'm still here today. I'm looking out my window and all I see for as far as I can see is just nothing but trees. Are there even four corners? Uh, <laughs> no, there aren't actually. Wow. It's the longest single main street in Nova Scotia anyway. It goes like 40 kilometers along the coast of these little villages strung together. There's not a single stop sign or a stoplight or anything. To, once you get on that old highway one, you just drive and you go from one little village to the next type of thing. The men certainly in those days, and even to a certain it's still largely true today, but in those days, the men worked on fishing boats and fish plants and the forest and construction. I have these tiny little hands that were not capable of that kind of work. And so I started an educational software business against the, uh, and I am going to get to your answer about regrets, but uh, against the advice of so many people. I mean, I just, I was bombarded with negativity. I was accused of being selfish and thoughtless and of putting my family's financial well-being at risk. And I ignored all that stuff to come down here and start the business. And then I struggled for a while. But once I got her going, I mean, I then kind of got Oh, I don't want to say obsessed, but I was very determined to make this thing work for us. And I did a great job of growing that business. And I know I was a wonderful, still am, I hope, but certainly was a wonderful, present, loving parent. I was there, you know, at all of the sporting events. And I was the volunteer driver during the day. I just controlled my old schedule. So if my daughter had a basketball game or a soccer game, it was dad that was going to be the one driving people and kind of stuff. But, you know, the honest answer I gave, in, which was fairly spontaneous, but it's truthful, I think, is that... I think during that period of time, I wasn't as good of a husband as I should have been. I think I was so focused on my business and I was so focused on my kids that I sort of let go of some of that stuff. And, you know, we've been married 38 years. You know, we're still together and all that. But I mean, maybe regret's not the right word, but it just it's what came to mind. So I what you get when you talk to me is just truth. And that's what I felt at the moment. I can completely hear that. I mean, I, I don't have 30 years under my belt, but I do have a failed business with my ex and then this business with my present husband. And there was a time a couple of years ago when, when Dave, my husband now said to me, he said, I see more of the back of your head than I see of your face. Yeah. Ouch. And that, yeah, that hurt. And I realized he was right. And that was about the same time that I went through my own transition when I had been sleeping two to three hours a night for a year and a half. Mm. And my twins were born in 2015, early 2015. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't remember when they said their first words. I don't remember when they took their oh. first steps. But I remember that from my other children. And that's painful, too. So yeah. I guess those would be other regrets is just putting all that time. My business got more attention than that time. Mm. And it faced less growth or it experienced less growth than yeah. my children did. It's kind of the classic. I know we both probably spend a lot of time talking to people about values and what's important to you in your life. But I think sometimes people oversimplify that process. And we always have to acknowledge that there's going to be like, so, well, my core values are family, friends, health, respect, integrity, and the environment and giving something back. But your family and your friends and your health, spending time with them is part of valuing those relationships. But you also have to be caring for the family financially, like not just one person, but the unit has to have 
the ability to do things, the ability to participate and to travel and all these kind of things. And the irony, I think it is when we have kids, is that first of all, we're learning how to be a spouse, then we're learning how to be a parent, and we're still learning how to run a business in terms of do our career or our job or whatever. I mean, it's a lot of learning going on at one time, and there's inevitably some conflict between the desire to make sure that you're providing well and and affording your family the opportunities to do things that are are really important to you and the desire to just be present and oh, well screw work I won't worry about it you know and all that kind of stuff so that's why I think I in hindsight if I could go back to that interview I don't think I would say regret I would acknowledge that look I'm 60 Kim if I defy anybody to get to 60 and, and not be able to find a moment in time what I find impressive about what you just said to me is is and it's not just you. I'm so impressed by the, uh, what, for me, are the younger generations today, by the raised level of self-awareness. It takes self-awareness to just say what you said eh, about, and to be able to analyze that, that situation with your twins and the differences and all that kind of stuff. And as long as we're aware and trying, then why would we have any regrets? Eh? I mean, right. we're human. Like, you say that a lot, on you know, but we are human. We're not perfect, and we never will be. Yep. So it's about effort and intent. Sometimes I wish I could package up self-awareness with a bow and give it away as a present. Man, it's... I can choose a few people right now that I would give it to. No, I'm sure you would. (laughs) Look, I glossed over it because I've taken the story somewhere else, but I go back and I'd like to talk about that if I could for a second. So I ignored all those naysayers and I came down here and I started that company. But what I did was something really stupid for about three years. And I see it now. I sure didn't have the self-awareness to understand what was going on then. But I bought into the idea that I had sacrificed my entire career in order to make this commitment to family. So in other words, sure, I'd walked away from it and I was a big macho man and I had my family down here and I was living this dream life and everything. But I was telling my goal in those days was to make enough money to put food on the table and to pay the bills. I mean, and in my mind, I didn't realize that I had bought into all of the negativity, all those self-limiting beliefs that people had imposed upon me. And I had actually absorbed that without realizing it. So here I was just actually grieving the loss of a job that was killing me. Yeah. I mean, before I left or I've said to myself many times looking back, if I hadn't quit that job. I would have been dead or divorced within five years, and I think maybe both, you know what I mean? Uh, And maybe sooner, you know? So it's foolish of me to be grieving that, but I was grieving like, oh, man, there were parts of that career. I liked the thrill of it, and I liked the income. And no, I didn't need the tailor-made clothes and the monogram shirts and the gold jewelry, but it doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy the rush of working hard at something and getting results and building relationships and all those kind of things. And I spent three years muddling along. You talk about, you know, you're not getting results. I was getting exactly what I visualized I was entitled to. I was making enough money to put food on the table and to uh, pay our bills and nothing more. Just like I was going paycheck to paycheck mm-hmm. and then uh, had the good fortune of, you know, running into a, a person that came, uh, became a, a mentor for so many years, passed a couple of years ago, Roy, rest in peace. But big Polish uh, American from New England <laughs> guy who just sort of looked at me and said, what the hell is wrong with you, man? You know, like and he just gave me a big kick in the butt. And, and all of a sudden, instead of saying, accepting that I couldn't do things, I started asking, well, what would need to happen in order f- for me to get more. What if I tried this instead of why won't this work? And it's just mind-boggling that, you know, the changes that occurred in my life when I just started believing in the possibilities, you know, and I don't even think I even knew what those possibilities were, but I just allowed myself to accept that 
good things could happen. And then the business just absolutely soared. It went from uh, something that was just barely feeding our family to we ended up selling over $10 million worth of software from this little fishing village. And that we ran that company for all the years that our kids were growing up. So it, it gave us the income to raise our kids here in this community, get them off to college. We traveled the world with them. I mean, I'm not a rich person. I mean, we it costs money to run a business. And we've never really liked to just pile cash up and not use it. So we have traveled. We've taken those kids halfway around the world on many occasions. I see today the benefits that they have in terms of their understanding of other cultures. I mean, my daughter now has been to Vietnam and to Thailand and to across Europe and to Brazil and to Argentina. And they see citizens of the world. They don't see Canadians or Americans or Europeans or, you know, or whatever. And I look at it and think, how do I put a price tag on the fact that we were able to do those kind of things? I mean, it's priceless. So, but boy, I just, I look at it and think, man, what would have happened if Roy hadn't come into my life and give me that kick? Because I was just muddling along. I have noticed that when I stop fighting for something and just am more open to it coming in, then bam, there it is. Yeah. And it happened with my husband. I was ready to be single for the rest of my life than to ever have a bad marriage ever again. But I decided that I would write down a list of all the qualities of somebody I was looking for. And that would be what I would need. Tim, I met him three weeks after I wrote the list. And then when I stopped chasing income and decided to start pursuing impact, Mm -hmm. bam, quadrupled income like within a month. Yeah, And when I stopped chasing after the next coach and mentor, again, bam, there he is. And I'd already been working with him for two years. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think it, it even starts with the first part of what you were talking about there. I mean, I, well, I'll throw this question out to you, if you don't mind, because I do know you talk to so many of us and around this kind of topic. And that one of the things that still truly puzzles me today is that it's not exactly a new theory that what we believe in is possible in our life and what we expect to happen in our life has a huge correlation to what actually happens. I mean, we just know that. And and it's been known for a long time, long before you and I were walking on this earth or anything else. People have known that the power that that self-belief has on it. And yet we have such a massive problem, in doing, particularly, I would say, in 35 and under of amazingly talented people that just don't seem to accept that. And I continue to struggle with the question is why it's so difficult. Hmm. Well, I'm 39. Okay, so I saw in my parents and my grandparents, this is how it's been done. This is how it should be done. This is how it should always be done. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got grounded in high school if I didn't hit the honor roll. Yeah. It was never even a question as to whether or not I went to college. Like, point yep. blank, just not a question. Natural course of progression, just like you, went into corporate. I was an interior architect. It was just not a question. But I didn't know anything about personal development until yeah, no. until I was 30. Yeah. Just in the past nine years, which astounds me. Yeah. But I was having a struggle with my 15-year-old son a few months back. His attitude was really bad. He got grounded, and I told him I wanted him to read a book. It was actually Think Better, Live Better by Joel Osteen. And yeah. he read that one. He, He improved for like an hour, and then his attitude went back down to less than ideal. Mm. So I told him, here's another book. (laughs) (laughs) And he didn't end up reading the second one, but we ended up watching I Am Not Your Guru by Tony Robbins. And I've said it on previous episodes, I'll say it again now. I wish there was some type of personal development mindset 
course in high schools. I don't have the patience. I'm just going to put it out there. I don't have the patience to homeschool my kids. Yeah. But if I did, it would all be about personal development and mindset. Yeah, man. I mean, you're hitting on a hot spot for me. And it's really honestly why at this stage of my life, I'm, I'm this whole screw the naysayers, you know, concept has been something I've been getting behind. I mean, I think we're doing an appalling job in terms of the preparing our kids for the the reality of the world that they're moving into. I mean, the truth of the matter is uh, for me and even for your generation, the preparation we got, whether it didn't give us the preparation in terms of that self-awareness or the ability to have the, whether we call it an entrepreneurial mindset or a mindset where we challenge conventional wisdom, where we're not afraid to fail. Just think about what you said about if you get grounded because you don't make the honor roll. We're setting everybody up to believe that failures is a terrible thing, so don't ever try anything. We don't give them permission to test boundaries. We don't uh, tell them how to, that it's a good thing to pursue or try different things. And we teach them, you know, at our schools to sit down, shut up, behave, and wait for instructions. Now these kids, it was bad enough. It wasn't helpful for you and I because the risk of that is that we end up doing something that we really won't be happy doing. Certainly what happened to me chasing that corporate career, and it sounds like it might have happened a bit to you too, Kim. But, oh, yeah. But that's a real negative thing. Eh? But the generation that's coming out now, I mean, the stats are crystal clear. Like 50% of adults under the age of 30 in North America are underemployed or unemployed. Now, mostly underemployed. But they're working in turnstile of jobs, a lot of of times in jobs that they hate. They've been promised, if you go to college, go to university, get your education, there's going to be this great job waiting for you. When the job isn't there, which for at least one out of every two of them, it's not, then they haven't got a clue what to do because they've been trained to sit back and wait for instructions. Mm -hmm. And it all starts with the kind of stuff you're talking about, which is mindset, which is the ability to know who you are, which is the ability to figure out what you're good at, you know, what your strengths are. It's accepting that it's okay to try something, and if it doesn't work out, instead of seeing that as really bad, see it as, okay, I've learned something about myself, and what can I learn from this circumstance, and I'll go forward. I mean, none of that's going on in our school system. And so we've got this absolute crisis, and this is the the little portion of it that I'm trying after, is we're working very hard to connect with uh, students in university and people that have recent graduates, you know, people, and I'm going to say kids, they're not, they're all adults, but you know, people in their 20s type of thing. Because what I see is just, as a society, we're just beating up on them. You know, we're saying, oh, you're lazy, you're entitled, you don't want to work, there's no work ethic. If I see another post saying crap like that, I think I'm going to climb down the internet cable or, you know, wherever it is, the cyber waves to go kill somebody. I mean, it's not their fault that they're living in a time when we're having such a massive disruption in our workplace. Mm-hmm. A good friend of mine is Don Wetrick uh, from Started Up Education in Indianapolis, but I don't know whether you know Don, but the stats he's showing suggest that by 2020, Kim, that's like 15 months or something like that, if 15, 18 months, something, 50% of the jobs in the United States are going to be in the gig economy, like temporary work. For people to function, they are going to have to know how to go out and find their own opportunities. And if we burden them with $200,000 worth of debt going to university to get a degree to go get those jobs, we're going to see such an escalation of the differences between the families with the wealth that can just pay for all that stuff and everybody else that's going in debt 
up to their neck in order to do it. And oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm 39, and I still have most of my student loans exactly. to pay off. Well, you see, that's it. You're on the verge of becoming a second generation. Yep. See, what happens is that when we still have, you know, I'm blessed. I don't have that in Canada. We've, it's still way more affordable, and certainly in my days it was very affordable. But there are second-generation student debt families now where the parents haven't been able to pay their debts off, so then they can't save money for their kids' education, so now the kids right. are having to borrow. I mean, I love education. I'm so much a believer in knowledge and wisdom, but we really have to challenge the conventional concept that the only path to success is through a four-year degree program, you know, at a college or university. I mean, it's just, you have to look at, at where the career might be leading you, what the payback's going to be. Sure, if you want to be a nanosurgeon or doctor or physicist or something, I mean, we need all those people, then that, that might be the, the most appropriate path. But I mean, but I've do been you think so an blessed in the year last... Old? It really has enough life experience to say that that's what they want to do? No, of course they don't. But I think for those that might be inclined in towards those serious careers, they may have a greater awareness. But most of us don't have – this is one of the things I said in my book. I mean, but, you know, most of us when we're coming out of high school don't have a clue what we're going to end up doing. There are some of us that pretend and say we got it figured out. But the vast majority of us don't have a clue. But the problem was back in the day – University was such that the college was such that it was affordable enough that we didn't go there to get job prep. That's not why I went to university. I went to learn about myself, to be on my own, to form adult relationships with people that I've, you know, knew people that didn't have any preconceived ideas about the type of person I was or any of those kind of things and, and figure out what I was good at. And soft skills that I took from university are what, you know, what I still use today, communication skills and, and writing skills and debating skills and all those kind of things. If we can't find a way to make that education experiential again at an affordable level, then I think the world has to, we really have to look at allowing these kids to learn differently. And I've been so blessed like him the last few months talking to some young entrepreneurs, 23, 24 years old. They are kicking ass, pardon my language, but they really are. They didn't go to university. You know, they started and they've struggled and they've scraped their knees and everything else. But 24, they're coming into themselves with a sense of self-awareness that, you know, you and I both got around 30. We both, yep. you know, sort of hit it at that same stage, which I think is a, a pretty common thing. Mm -hmm. And it happens, interestingly enough, and it seems like it did for both of us, too. Usually when there's some sort of infrastructure rattling event. Yes, you lose your job, you lose your business, a failed marriage, my health. I mean, I was going to be dead when that's what drives us to this realization. And then a lot of us are sitting there and we will have passed our 20s really not learning, you know, anything about it. So I don't know if I directly answered your question about it, but I mean, for sure, we put way too much expectation on, on young people. But I think we've got to let them try things. And the other thing is, is we're not going to recognize it's I have so much trouble at this stage of my life getting my mind around it. But we are not as what the workplace looks like in 15, 20. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I've got my first who's going to be graduating high school in three years. I mean, this upcoming fall, he'll be a sophomore. And then yeah. but one of my three youngest, the oldest of the three youngest will be starting kindergarten this fall. So I am just blown away. I mean, my husband dropped out of high school and got his GED so that he could enter the Air Force. And he didn't start college until, again, like you're talking about, big shakeup in the infrastructure of his life until he was 32. After we yep. had gotten together, he lost his job again. And my message to him right then was, I think this is God's way of telling you to pursue your dreams instead of doing what everybody else is telling you to do. So are you going... Yeah. He always wanted to be a video game developer, but for him... I mean, 
I don't know, maybe it was around in 1998 or whatever year he would have graduated high school. But yeah. that wasn't really an option for him back then. Nobody in his family had gone to college before. Yeah. So that was his way of getting out. But now there's my boys. I mean, their dad went to college. I went to college. We were actually high school sweethearts. Yeah. But one of them actually said to me, I think I'm going to be an accountant. I was like, why? He's like, well, they make mm. good money. I was like, uh. <laughs> Jacob, is that seriously what you want to do? And no, and I knew it wasn't. That's why I questioned him on that. He wants to be a Major League Baseball umpire. Not a player, but an umpire. The, the guy behind umpire, the plate. Yeah. 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 And that's a really tough profession to be in. But he was ready to give up on the dream and pursue the money instead. I'm like, no. Yeah. We will figure out. I'm not going to guarantee him that that's where he's going to wind up. No, but I'm not going to tell him that he needs to go to college just because. Yeah. No. Yeah. And really, so many of the jobs that people are looking to do today are, are being automated. Yep. Like, I mean, it's I, we have not seen the effect of I have a friend who uh, is quite the, lives in our little community, but she's quite a world traveler. She's lived in something like 14 countries in her lifetime. She speaks six different languages and, and all that. But she had she was fortunate enough to be in Beijing this past winter for a short visit and staying in this fairly nice hotel. And so she calls Kim, get this, she phones down to the front desk and she says, I'd like some more towels, please. And so by the time she hangs up the phone. There's a knock at the door. Now, that does not surprise me about the Asian culture. They've always like had floor attendants or something that are just sort of right outside your door type of thing. What shocked me was when she said, I opened up the door and it was a robot. And the what? robot pushed out the tray with the towel. She picked it up and said, thank you. <laughs> Anything else I can do for you? No, thank you. <laughs> it goes, that goes down the hall. And we're sitting here. You know, having these uh, arguments about traditional manufacturing jobs and who's taken, you know, I'm not trying to get into global politics or anything, but I just know we're focusing on all the wrong things. Because, And then I saw another post the other day on one of the social media things. There are now companies in China when you want to have fireworks, they're using clusters of drones, like 2,500 drones up in the sky going around like fireworks, all different colors and everything, not hitting each other, even though they're right on top of each other and all this kind of stuff. I mean, this is where technology is you know, is going. And so, so much of the work that we think of as being traditional is just going to disappear. And oh, it's yeah. going to come down to our ability to build relationships. That's the other thing that we didn't talk about too much about. I think you were alluding to that when you said, like, if you were self, if, if you were parenting your kids, I mean, that's the stuff they have to know, too. They have to know how to create relationships with people that they don't know, especially in this digital age. Like, I'm one of the blessings of podcasting, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I yeah, talk to somebody that it feels like we might have known each other for 10 years or something like that, you know, and it's just been sort of a conversation. But gosh, I mean, we've got, uh, they're just so ill-prepared. And yeah. I don't know. It just it gets me angry. It really does. And and I think we got to start stop talking about the system because we are the system. We created this like the education yes. system. And that's us. That's you. you know, and it's me. And everybody. we created it. You said you got the soft skills from college. And I can tell you that the biggest lesson that I learned in college was freshman year. One of my closest friends from college said to me, well, actually, she told me this uh, second year. She told me, I thought you were Sorry, listeners, you know, I don't swear much on the podcast. She said, I thought you were a bitch because you never talked to me. Well, I was so scared to talk to anybody that I just didn't talk to anybody. Yeah. I mean, you would never imagine that now, considering how much I talk on any given day. And it's exhausting because I'm still an introvert. But I am too, by the way. Yeah. I'm the guy at, at a social setting. If you know me and we're like, if it's a community of podcasters or something, or if I know what we have in common, no problem. I'll walk up to you and I'll start chatting right away. Uh -huh. 
if you drop me into a room with 300 friendly, smiling people and I don't have any contacts to talk to, I'm going to stand in the corner waiting or near the bar. Me too. I'll be that awkward person on the other side of the room who won't even approach you. (laughs) Yeah, like Because I'm like, okay, where do I start? What idiot something is going to come out of my mouth? You know, I look back at the movies my siblings and I were raised on and we see people going through the grocery store and, you know, and everything needed to be checked out one by one and put into the paper plastic bag. And now we can go through the grocery store and never even talk to anybody because we can self-check our own self out. The only reason we have to talk to anybody is if the cash register isn't working, which usually happens every single day. Yeah, I know. And then um, that technology is going to get better. And it is. Just this weekend, I ordered my groceries online. And then I drove through the drive-thru and the the high school kids put it in my trunk. But I just heard on the radio actually this weekend that my grocery store chain is actually about to try something where they deliver the groceries in an unmanned vehicle. Yeah. Look, it's happening. The future is... It is happening. The future is happening. Yeah. Did you ever watch the movie The Net with Sandra Bullock? Yes. Yeah. I mean, she was a hermit who was in her house and she didn't know how to... I mean... This is even early 90s where she's ordering a pizza online and never had any interaction. I'm afraid that if we don't teach our children and the next generation social skills, and I'm not saying that I'm not trying to bash any generation, but with this whole internet age, I mean, look at them now, a lot of the teenagers and even younger 20-somethings, they'll be sitting in a bar. I mean, I see the pictures on social media. I, I haven't seen it firsthand everybody's on their tablets or whatever. I see it in my own family because every one of my children wants to use somebody else's phone and they're all just in the living room, all looking at their own devices. Like what happened to family game night, right? What happened to sleepover parties where everybody's having a pillow fight and doing each other's makeup? No, I've had people on the podcast who say that they have a phone basket. Everybody goes to their house and they know that they have to put the Mm. phone in the basket before the party starts because they're there for a party yeah. Not for a smartphone festival. Yeah. And I think we're just going to have to let each generation figure out to a certain degree how to balance that, the use of the technology. But I do believe that you're so correct that we have to find ways to get them engaged in that debate and get them thinking about it. One of the young women that I interviewed about your age, so compliment for you there. But no, I talked to somebody on my show a couple of weeks ago, and it was really quite moving because she had a very, you know, I won't share the details because it was quite personal, but she had a very traumatic incident when she was 16. But she did not even then have the kind of relationship. She had a loving parents, didn't feel that she could tell her parents about mm. it, didn't have that level of communication. And so she didn't. And 20 some odd years later, when her life is just sort of going along and everything, and she wakes up one morning and looks in the mirror and just starts crying because, you know, she just realizes that this thing has been eating her away for like 20 years. So now, I mean, she's worked in IT her whole life, but don't you think she just quits her job, Kim? And she starts a company called Family Time, T-Y-M-E, and she's creating an app that will encourage communication between parents and kids by having them at a young age at least be able to learn how to express emotions. So, I mean, it's sort of an incentivized, there are incentives for them to answer like two or three little questions for mom and dad at the end of the day in like two minutes. Like, how was your day at school? And there's like all different pictures of emotions and if you're happy or sad or whatever, like, and then why? And then there's some examples and everything. Look, I don't know whether it's going to work or not, but I think it's remarkable that somebody can get that impassioned about trying to affect that change. So she's trying to use the technology as a teaser, which would then lead the human interaction. 
because I well, was okay, wondering now how I, that was going to promote. Yeah, human because now I got enough information as a parent to know, okay, there's something going on. Like yeah. it was sad at school today or whatever. I and here's maybe the basis of it. The at least I know the emotion they were feeling, so I can start probing. Mm-hmm. And the way they encourage the kids to use it is that they are able to, every time they answer, they accumulate coins, if you may, within these things. And the parents get to set up, any, depending on what your family values are, you just you get to set up a, a form of uh, reward system, if mm-hmm. you may. So if, if you're building this communication and willing to talk about it at supper at night or something like that, well, and when you get 10 coins, you can have this family activity. And, of course, you can guide those into things that actually promote more communication and all those kind of things. So, I mean, the specifics of it, I don't know. But, I mean, it just highlights the concern that I think everybody's feeling about our the growing inability of, of people to actually talk. I mean, you know, even this, like, we're doing this audio for very good reasons. But, I mean, I find that when whenever I can, if I'm talking to somebody on Skype, I want to use the video so I can at least see, you know, and feel the see your eyes and, and all this kind of stuff. And so... Positive Productivity Podcast is not about perfection. Nobody, including my kids, would want to see me today. It is 100 degrees in Ohio. <laughs> yeah. And I, I look would like, like oh, yeah. But, okay, this is totally off topic, but I just need to share. I brush my teeth before podcast interviews. I can't explain it. <laughs> Someday <laughs> there might be, like, stinkatel or something, you know, like, where we smell people when we're talking to them over the internet or over the phone. But I will be prepared because I will not go on a call. I know that you can't smell my breath or, you know, any other part of me. But I'm like, I'll be ready because <laughs> who yeah, knows? Exactly. Maybe <laughs> Skype can smell today, too. Well, there you go. What type of naysaying activities would you say that you are combating today? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a great question because, you know, naysayers come in a lot of different flavors, if you may. I think the ones that I detest the most, for lack of a better word, we can call them the haters. I mean, these are the people that quite honestly have given up on the idea of they're making their life any better. They've forgotten how to dream. And sadly, there's a lot of them out there. So they go through life trying to kill your dreams. And the really unfortunate thing about naysayers is that they can smell fear. And you know this, Kim, like whenever we come upon an idea that that turns out to be something that we really, really want, the more we want it, the more we can visualize how it would positively affect our life, the more we fear. And that's why we get such high levels of anxiety and everything else. Naysayers sense that fear and then they bombard you with all this negative BS. And in the process of doing that, they kill dreams every day. Like that people don't aren't given an opportunity to believe, to allow themselves to believe that they want to make a difference in the world or if it's important to them to something that feels important to them or there's a problem that they would really like to contribute to solving or they want to live somewhere else or they would like to change a relate, you know, get out of a relationship that's just not healthy for them and all these kind of things. I mean, they keep getting all of this negativity that, that causes you to, to fear that because the other thing about naysayers is they believe in a world where what you have now is always better than what might be possible because there's something's no going to go wrong. Yeah. yeah. There's no risk. They cannot detest risk. Eh? So if you live in a world where are unwilling to try anything unless this, the outcome is certain, then you never try anything meaningful. And I know this for a fact. I mean, I've talked to way too many people and you do as well. The moments in our life when we really affect meaningful change that can lead to periods of extended happiness and growth and all those kind of things, they come when we have stepped outside of our comfort zone. If you're not spending a part of your day outside of your comfort zone asking yourself, am I crazy? Or if people aren't telling you a little bit, oh, I think you're nuts, then you are playing it safe. 
And mediocrity is, it's, I don't mean that that was probably not the right choice of words, but the dilemma is, is that if you just allow yourself to coast along that way, that's why the world we have today is filled with people my age and older. I people 45 and up is just filled with people of that age group that are now looking back, you know, on their life with considerable regret. That's what got me into trouble on that last podcast. But they are because yeah. they're realizing that they've spent their entire life chasing goals that other people have set for them. And then they convince themselves that, well, yeah, it's not exactly what I want to do, but I, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, we fall into two patterns. Eh? We fall into the pattern of pretending everything's perfect when it's not. These are the actors. And then if that disguise wears too thin, then we just blame everybody else. It's not my fault. I can't do anything about it. And naysayers just feed off that negativity. I think this world needs a lot more positive productivity, a lot more people like you. I don't think there can be too many people like you and I out there trying to spread our message that change is possible. It's always possible. And if you're surrounded by people that don't believe in you, then surround yourself with some different people. Oh, my gosh. Amen to that. Tim, when I started my business in 2012, it was because my husband was going back to school mm. to go after history. And we couldn't sustain on just my one job. I mean, I had lost my job as an interior architect, and I was working as an administrative assistant, yeah, making $12 an hour yeah, with all my student loan debt and all of our other household expenses. And he had three years to complete his four-year degree, so there was no time for a job there. So I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to try this. Well, we didn't know we were going to have three more kids in the next <laughs> two years. <laughs> and there were times that people in my family asked, is it time to go get a real job again? Mm -hmm. Like, do you not understand that if I go get a quote, real job right now, that amount that I'm getting paid for that quote, real job won't even cover daycare? Yeah, exactly. So how about if I just keep on going at it? And can I say, no, it has definitely not been easy, but Six years ago, I mean, my husband and I both had credit scores that were less than 400. Wow. No joke, less than 400. Because we had both made lots of mistakes before we knew each other. And we're closing on our house later this week. Good for you. That's actually my biggest naysayer fight right now is that the banks don't want to see self-employed people. But you already stated the statistics. Yeah. I mean, look at where the generations now are going. Yeah, they're not going to have any choice because you're right, they don't. But I mean, we are going to have future generations are going to uh, have to create their own opportunity. Although it's really interesting, you know, Kim I was reading an article today on that very issue. You're going to find that your kids or at least their generation are going to be a lot less interested in home ownership <laughs> because they're looking around and seeing people that seeing that when you do that, it sort of ties you down. And they're starting to see the world as kind of this global place. And, you know, at the age you guys are at right now, it's perfect because you sort of figured all those things out. But in my day, you were chasing your house in your 20s. I just don't think we're going to see that anymore. But I mean, oh, it's, yeah, no. I, I went off on a different target. But I mean, both of my older boys are the types who will be traveling yeah. almost 100 percent of the yeah. time. The other my 12 year old wants to be a major league soccer player. So who knows where in the world he'll be yeah, when? When he achieves that goal. But but isn't that the beauty of it? It is. It's just allowing them to go out and try things and experience it and see what they like and see what they don't like. And we both know there's a huge possibility that somewhere along that journey, they're going to stumble into something completely different that's just going to feel right. 
that they're good at and that they enjoy and it has purpose. And But to try and figure that out, we're just asking way too much. I think we just let, have to let them gather experiences and, and support them. Absolutely. The world needs more unconditionally, positively supportive people. Absolutely. One quote from my book is basically that the um, aside from our personal love to a family member, but to someone other than an immediate family, the most important gift that you can give a person is the unconditional belief in their ability. Yes. If you just believe, you know, and that's what happened to me. I mean, I didn't get into it in detail, but when Ray Zabrick believed in me uh, to the point that whenever ever I asked him, well, what do you think? He would just say, sounds good. You know, and as soon as I realized that that support was there, I mean, it just transitioned my life. And if we want to help somebody tomorrow, if we want to do a good deed tomorrow, it's just finding somebody that might be having not a great day or that, you know, is maybe struggling a bit with a dream and just say, hey, you can do this. And I know you can. And I, there are people around you that believe in you. So don't give up. I mean, it's it's an amazing gift. And I don't know why we're so stingy with it. Whenever I'm talking to my clients, I encourage them to stop using the word try. Yeah. Stop trying, just start doing. Yeah. And stop using the word if. Yeah. It's no ifs, it's whens. But you have to believe in yourself. And like the three pillars of positive productivity are self-care systems and support. There's no point in going for these big goals if you're killing yourself in the process. No, of course. And we've all done it. Oh, yeah, multiple times here. But we're raised that way. It's that work ethic that goes really all the way back to the days of the Industrial Revolution when Mm -hmm. they created our school systems. I mean, that's what it was for, was to teach work ethic and that hard work is a really good thing and perseverance is... um, How many people have told you, Kim, that the key to success is perseverance? Oh, yeah. But, you know, I mean, I would agree that most successful people I know, I think perhaps all, are persevered. But they don't persevere doing the same old things. If something isn't working or doesn't feel right or whatever, they change. Because they know if you're going down the road, just if you keep going down that same road, it doesn't mean you might be getting closer to where you want to get or further away. And, but we don't draw the distinction for people. See, well, if times are tough right now, just suck it up and horrible advice. Anybody tells you to suck it up, then get a new friend. I mean, it's, it's life isn't like that. Thank it you. That. But you also don't go into bed and put your sheets over your head and just stay there. No, of course. But you just find a comfortable spot in between and you keep on taking action. Exactly. Because I can tell you there are so many times that I wanted to just hide in my bed, but I didn't. I'm recording within the month that this episode is going live and I just exited the best month that my business has ever had. Had anybody told me that I would ever have a month like this six years ago, I would have been like, you have got to be kidding. There's no (laughs) way. Yeah. But, and I showed my boys, my boys, the older ones. I think that's part of what my generation also did wrong because they didn't discuss money. Yeah. I knew when we were struggling or when we were doing good, but I didn't really know anything else. But my boys know. And, because of that, they've learned the value of even going to consignment shops or buying generic. And they can see now that there's some things that are good. I mean, I'm going to use toilet paper and diapers as an example. Mm. You get what you pay for sometimes in toilet paper and diapers. For right? Sure. Sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse. And they've seen even with tomato sauce. We eat a lot of pasta. It's my favorite, even if I shouldn't be eating it. Sometimes the brand names taste like not good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so just because you spend a lot of money doesn't make you any better than anybody else. And I've also showed them how just because people look like they have a lot of money doesn't mean they do. The boys are fully aware that I don't have credit card debt. 
which is mm-hmm. why we don't buy a lot of extras. Yep. But a lot of people who buy extras, they're in so much debt that it will take them years to pay off. Yeah. Screw those naysayers. You know that you need to have nice shoes if you're going to make the sale? Yeah. BS, you need to have a good personality. Yeah. Absolutely, sure. And look, you know, sales comes down to people buy from people that they like, trust, and respect. And yes. even over the internet or however we're, can, you know, we're doing business, that'll never change. And I think there's something to be said for personal branding and, and whatever your appearance is and all those kind of things. But I'm not one anyway that obsesses over it. I mean, I'm just trying to let people see who, who I am as a person. And my success in life has come down to, to being able to establish relationships with people. And then when people extend their trust to you, then you honor it. You do that over a period of time, money and everything else just follows it. It's not, you said something very wise earlier on when you said you just stop focusing, I'm paraphrasing, but you just stop focusing on the money and and more on the the impact or not more, but entirely on the impact. But it's always been that way in business. Mm -hmm. I've been mentoring business owners for 30 years and certainly intensively for the last 12 to 15 years. And it's always about the impact. What problem are you solving? Why is it important to you? Why is it important to your client? How can you communicate that understanding? And, you know, where are you adding value? Challenge yourself. Does the client who you just help their business so tremendously really care about how many Twitter or Facebook followers you have? Or, okay, Instagram, maybe this day or Snapchat or whatever. No, they don't. They care what the bottom line was and how they receive value off of you, from you. I, I mean it in the best sense of the word. I know that didn't sound very good. Yeah, it's always about the outcome or the value. And like even in circumstances where, because not every activity ever works out perfect, even if the outcome isn't everything we desire, if there is a feeling of sincere effort and best effort and best intentions and everything else and honesty and everything, people are still with you anyway. I mean, it's just about being honest and valuing everyone else's contributions in this world. And I don't know, we could go, probably go on and on, Kim, on the power of that ad kind of an attitude. But there are the people in this world that have figured that out. And those that have are, I think, destined for happiness. Yes. However that manifests itself you know, in financial success, I couldn't care less. I know people that have very little that are some of the happiest people in the world. And I know people that are stinking rich who are miserable. Yep. There is no direct correlation in my opinion. Yep. At least in the North American economy, for example. I mean, we can feed ourselves. And if we don't have enough for food or a roof over our heads, well, then I, the money's important. We need it. But after we get past that stage... I like money, though. That's the other thing I'm always having to people say, well, you, you don't like money. I like money a lot. I mean, when I have it, it affords me the opportunity to do all these things. I talked about traveling and all these kind of things. I just don't ever want to be a slave to money. If money comes from having an impact and helping a lot of people, then that's great. Yeah. And the other thing that money does for a business, it's uh, one of my other mentors in life to explain to me, and it's really true. Any business, I don't care what it is, it's just a game. You know, you just got to look at it that way. And the, the scorecard, unlike baseball, where it's runs and, you know, hits and strikes and balls and all that kind of stuff, in business, the scorecard is the money. And if there isn't money coming in that's equal to or greater than the expenses going out and to pay you for your time and stuff like that, then you can't pretend to be making that big of an impact. Because if you were, people would be paying you for it. Right. That's the ultimate truth. For me, I just that's the extent to which I look at the details of the money in the early stages of growing a business. Once you get it going, of course, you get into it. But Thank you. Yeah, that's been huge for me, especially just in the past couple of weeks, because I'm looking at where I want my business to go in the next 18 months. And I can see the possibilities and the value that it can be provided. But I've also looked at what that could mean money-wise. But the money isn't what's driving it even though I know it's pretty amazing. 
that's not what's driving it. It's yeah, yeah. How can I more support? I'm speaking typo now, but I'm just so excited. How can I better <laughs> support the people who trust me and my team to take their businesses to yep. the next level and get the self care support and system set up? So, how are you supporting your community and your clients right now? Yeah. Well, that's a really great question, and I thank you for that, because we're kind of going through this transition. I mean, for 12, 13 years, I was doing a, a lot of one-on-one business coaching, and, you know, I enjoyed it, Kim, but I mean, it just, I kind of reached a stage in my life where I was, in particular, trying to help that audience I talked about, which are these students in university or of that age and young 20s, folks that are really looking at exploring the potential of starting their own business, but just feel like they're not sure where to start or where to get help or whatever. So we're creating a community. I'm trying to, you know, the Screw the Naysayers is, will become a community, and I'm fairly soon... Uh, be launching something called Sphere, which is it's going to be a support and mentoring for young entrepreneurs and going to try and provide some just-in-time answers to questions. And I, because of the, as you would know, with a podcast, I've just been blessed with meeting people all over the world that are just rallying behind this cause and offering to, you know, to help out and participate in digital events and things like that for free. And that's just kind of where it's going to go. I mean, I, I know that these young people are going to have to find their own opportunities, whether that's to find a, a, a different career, a different job, or to start their own business. And because they're not learning that entrepreneurial mindset in school, we're going to try and create a forum or an environment where we can or nurture and, and help them develop. Yeah, that's the goal. And it's a big dream. I mean, I set a goal the other day. I said, I have to put this down. And I said, I want to help 100,000 young adults start or grow a business, become successful entrepreneurs and from all walks of life from all around the world. And I have had naysayers. Once again, Kim, this is going to sound familiar. I've got all sorts of people telling me I'm delusional and it's impossible and it can never be done. But you know what? We're going to give it up the old college try. That's incredible. So where are you giving it Yeah, the college try and where can listeners find you online and connect? Perfect. Thank you. So uh, this is so, so much fun to say it, Kim, this way. It's www.screwthenaysayers.com. Oh, I love it. Uh, yeah, I'm not getting tired of saying it. You can find everything there. There's links to our podcast. There'll be links on the community as it launches. Right now, I've got a cool down, free download called The Ultimate Checklist to Be a Happy Entrepreneur, which you might get some chuckles out of because I'm sure you'd relate to a lot of the things uh, that are on there. And yeah, so just head over to, to screwthenaysayers.com. And for those that are on, listen to podcasts, uh, of course, you can catch us uh, you know, on all the usual places as well as on our, our website. Fabulous. Well, there will be a link to the ultimate checklist as well as all of Tim's social media and screw the naysayers.com at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP426. Tim, this has been an absolute pleasure. I had a blast and I want to thank you for coming. And I think we're going to have to do a part two sometime. I would love to do that. And I just might reach out to you sometime to see if we can't do a, a swap. Oh, definitely. If you can just wait until it's not like 150 (laughs) degrees in Ohio, so I'm not on camera and like sweating everything off, that would be so incredibly awesome. Fair enough. We'll monitor the weather forecast. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners? I wrote this down years ago that I'll share. It's just to, to know the life you want and have the courage to live it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. (laughs) 